Good morning, everybody. I'm really glad that you are here with us today. And we are in this study on the seven hits from the Jewish songbook. We knew how a song can take you right back to that place. And several of you weighed in with some of those songs in the very first installment of this seven week series. And it was amazing to me how many of you had songs that you said would take you back to that place and you could know exactly where you were at the time. We're hoping and praying that some of the songs in the Psalms that God has given us in his inspired word will also take us back to a place and that as we look into them, they may remind us of a place where we first encountered these Psalms. And I know because I've heard from a couple of you that this has already happened at least a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. Last week, we looked at Psalm 23, and discovered more about our good shepherd. Next week, in case you're reading ahead, I've been encouraging you to read each of these Psalms every day at least once in the week prior to the Sunday's installment on this series. Next week is Psalm 1, what happiness sounds like. Well, I want you to weigh in. I've been asking you to provide some information for us as well. I know uh, Dr. Pipe gave us a couple of polls at the beginning, but this is another simple poll, and I really only want one answer from each of you. I want to hear from you in the chat feature, what is the most important place you've been, the most majestic place you've ever been to that you've seen with your own eyes, weigh in right now in the chat field and we'll be compiling this, and I'll put it back out on our Facebook page after the service sometime later this afternoon. Today, we're looking at Psalm 19, about how the heavens talk. And last week, I told you about one of the places that I have found to be one of the most magical places I've ever experienced personally, because I hiked to this very place, Supai Falls. It's in a tributary in the Grand Canyon. It's worth the exhausting hike through the Valley of Deep Shadows, as we talked about last week, like the Valley of the Shadow of Death. And it's worth the hike because you get to this spot and it looks like this. This is not retouched. And God has put a little Garden of Eden right down there at the bottom of Supai Falls after you have hiked through the Havasupai Indian Reservation. It's an incredible place. But there's one other place that I found really magical, and it wasn't necessarily the place itself because the place was rather desolate, but it was what I could see from that place that made it really memorable and magical. My father had found out that there was gonna be a meteor shower and it would be at its peak about 2.30 a.m. And he also knew that the best place to see that meteor shower would be from a little lonely patch of desert about an hour west of Phoenix, Arizona, because there would be no light pollution from the city. Fortunately, one of our church member friends had a house way out there in the desert. And so he invited us to come and stay the night, well, part of the night, because we only had a few hours of sleep until my dad was waking us up like 2 a.m. And uh, I tell you, it was worth the early rise because we got some blankets, put them out in the backs of several pickup trucks out there on the property, and just lay there on their backs, staring up at the most brilliant night sky with billions of stars. It was an incredible sight. And boy, did we see some meteors. It was unbelievable. What an experience. So I will always cherish getting up at 2 a.m. because of what we saw from that. Uh, my mom actually left us a little gift, and I've got it right here in my hot little hand so you can see the size of it. It fits 
into my hand about like a fist, but if you could feel the weight of this thing, it would be as though you were lifting up a chunk of steel. That's how heavy it is. And there's a little label on the back that says meteorite found by Faley Cawthorn at Diamond Creek, Arizona. She found this on one of their walks and my father who had loved geology and took quite a few geological classes in college because he was a petroleum engineer, he would identify different rocks and he had quite a rock collection. So this one really stood out to me because it's otherworldly, it's incredible. And we actually have that in our possession, which I'm really proud of. But it's incredible to me to think that we would be staring up at a night sky, looking at the Milky Way galaxy, which for us seems huge, and yet we're just one of millions, perhaps billions of galaxies out there. And to think that we're spinning around on this little marble out in space at a thousand miles per hour at the equator, and we're not flying off into space because there's enough mass to this planet of ours, to create gravity to hold us in place as we spin around at that rate. All of the things that have to happen in order for us to have this complex life are right here on this planet. I couldn't help but look up at that starry sky and ask the big questions and think, could all of this really have happened by an, a random explosion and by sheer chance? I asked that question when I was quite young, and my father, having been a science teacher for a couple of years before becoming an engineer, was explaining some of the things that I'm going to be sharing with you today about Psalm 19, which helped for me answer this question definitively, because I personally believe that there is abundant evidence that there is an intelligence so far greater than anything we can imagine in this person that we call God, which is revealed to us as Dr. Pike mentioned in the call to worship, both in this book of his called creation, but also in the inspired word called the Bible. And Psalm 19 points us to both of those things. There are actually three sections, as we'll see in a moment. The first talks about looking up into the heavens, because we can see God in his creation or reflection of him, and then look down into scriptures, because he's inspired the words there to point us to more specific revelation. And then the third section is to look within because we can tell that God's Holy Spirit will reveal truth to us through both of these other two books. Well, we wanna hear from God. Do any of you ever wonder, does God actually communicate with us? I think that's a good question. Many people probably wonder about that. And some people might hear these crazy, weird Christian people saying, oh, well, I heard from God as I was reading in my Bible study this week. And they might think, okay, that sounds a little hocus pocus to me. That sounds like maybe they're a little delusional, and maybe they need a psychologist. Or maybe you can see the fervency and the genuine belief on the part of these Christians to think, maybe they're tuned into something that I'm not tuned into, and I wonder what that could be. I hope that today, by the end of this message, if you're in that category that you really haven't thought about whether God speaks to us or not, or if you've wondered if he does and you wonder how, that maybe it will create enough question marks in your own mind that you could lie on your back and stare up at a night sky and ask the big questions and say, God, did all this happen by chance? Or are you there and did you put it in place? Because if you put it in place, I wanna get to know you more deeply. The splendor observed in creation tells us that God is a God who is a creator, that he is 
gloriously creative, and that he is overwhelmingly powerful. Right there at the beginning of Psalm 19, in the very first verse, there's a word there called declare. The heavens declare. There's a proclamation. It declares the glory of God, the proclamation of the work of his hands. They proclaim this work for us. And it means a continuous proclamation. We can see that in the very next verse. It speaks, and it speaks day after day. It's continuously pouring forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. What kind of knowledge? Well, the knowledge that there was a supreme being behind all of this complexity, which is also orderly. They pour forth, and the word there in Hebrew, which means, means to gush, like an artesian well. These are photos that I actually took on our trip to Israel. They are from Dan Springs at the very base of Mount Hermon. The snows had melted. It was early spring and there was still a lot of snow melt and rain coming off of that mountain. And the picture on the right of this two-paned picture was a huge gushing canal filled with water that was churning and bubbling all fresh and all very cold because of the snow melt. And then about a quarter mile away through a gorgeous path that we got to walk with our guide explaining things to us, including things from the Bible about what happened in that region. Then we got to this lovely uh, calm pool that was only about a foot deep that you see on the left side of your screen. And this is where wildlife would gather. You have people coming together. You could get fresh water there that was filtered because of the way it'd come off the mountain and through the pebbles and rocks. So it was drinkable. It was gorgeous, fresh, living water. That's the kind of speech that God talks about. Well, there's a seasonal balance to all of this in creation. Maltby Babcock was a pastor in upstate New York in the United States. He didn't live all that long, unfortunately, but he wrote these words after taking many, many walks out in nature. This is my father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. He was saying what Psalm 19 tells us, that God speaks, and he speaks by pouring forth speech all through his creation so that everything we see around us in creation is listening. If we'll listen, we can hear God. In verse 3 and 4 of Psalm 19, it's a kind of different sort of paradox that the psalmist uses here. You might read this in English, and at first you read verse 2, and he's saying he speaks all the time. He's pouring forth words, and he says, but he doesn't use any words in verse 3. And you're thinking, okay, wait a minute. Which is it? He uses words or he doesn't use words? And poetically, he would say, yes. <laughs> the answer is both. It's a poetic paradox. He's doing this to call, cause us to think critically about what he meant by that. It, it's a different kind of speech that speaks directly to our hearts because he's pouring forth speech, and yet he's not really saying any words that we're used to hearing. It says, their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words are to the ends of the world. Have you ever had speech? Have you ever discerned speech that was a speech that nobody ever said any words? I have. When I was a kid in Sedona, Arizona, my grandmother would walk in and she would look down at me and she would crinkle up that sweet elderly face of hers and she would just twinkle at me. I don't know how else to describe it, but I knew I was, I was getting speech from her and she never uttered a word. She was saying, I love you, grandson. I think you've probably experienced that. 
Or uh, when Joy and I lived in Phoenix, Arizona, and our kids were all very, very young, and we lived in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood, and the neighbors to our uh, south, right next door to us, were all from Mexico, and they spoke very little English, and the children spoke no English at all. But our children, who were only English speakers, would start to see these kids, and they could run up to them, and without speaking a word of each other's languages, because they couldn't, they would just run off and start playing together in the backyard. They didn't have to communicate with words because they communicated through the international language of play. <laughs> and it was a joy to behold. It was a wonderful thing to see this happening because we understand that there are different ways of communicating. And the psalmist says, yes, God's voice goes out and he doesn't use a single word like the kind of words we think of. And one of the reasons that's important is because it goes out into all the earth and that every nation, every tribe, every language, every tongue, can appreciate and understand these words from God. It's for everybody on the planet, not just for English speakers. Their voice goes out into all the earth. The words go out to the ends of the world. That's why that Romans passage, which Dr. Pike mentioned in the call to worship, which we'll see again in a minute, says that everybody has access to that. Let me go back over these three portions of the psalm just so that you'll look at them. We're really only going to be spending our time looking at verses one through six today, but I want to mention very, very briefly with a couple of paragraphs later on to show how this ties in by looking at creation, by looking up, and then by looking down, which I hope you'll do in the course of this study and perhaps in more detail after you've heard this message into God's scripture. And then you can look inside because God's Holy Spirit reveals truth to us, both through creation and through his word. So God is involved in all of this communication. And without his Holy Spirit, we wouldn't understand any of it. Fortunately, we have the Holy Spirit at work so that we can start to make sense of it. We're really piqued in our interest by creation, and that's a good starting point. That leads us to the word, the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit is involved in making all of that make sense to us and to bring truth into our minds and hearts. So here's the look up portion, verse four, the last section of verse four. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. Now we know that you can't make a tent big enough for the sun, and even if you could, it would burn it up. So this is poetry, and it's beautiful poetry because if you think of the tents that they used to, to put up there, they were usually arched in like a canopy, and that's exactly the word used in Hebrew for this tent, it's a canopy or the firmament. That's the English word we get from that. It goes to sleep under this great firmament of ours. And then the stars would come up like the ones that we could look at when I was a kid staring at that meteor shower. The firmament or canopy is large enough that the sun can find refuge at night and go to sleep. And then the moon and the stars come up. There is such a beauty of that. And there's such a symmetry and a balance, which we see as well, which is something my father would explain to us as we were waiting for these meteors, meteors to come zipping through the sky. And then he uses a couple of interesting poetic uh, analogies to show you what the sun is like. Did the sun limp out of bed and rub his eyes and say, oh man, I just don't want to get up in the morning and pull the covers back up over its head again and say, can somebody please put on the coffee pot? No. The psalmist is saying for us, it's like the bridegroom coming out of his chamber on the day after his wedding. I mean, he's the hero of the day. He's puffing out his chest and he's saying, come on, let's get this party started. Let's do it. Bring it on. 
He will meet any challenge of the day. That's the kind of picture that the psalmist gives us about this sun. The sun doesn't crawl out of bed. It emerges triumphantly every day. And then he also says it's like a champion coming out through the tunnel into a mighty stadium, getting ready to run the next Olympic race. And he's doing so confidently because he knows he's going to win. He has such confidence. Do you see the kind of character quality that David, the psalmist, equates with the sun, which is a reflection of the creator? We have confidence in this sun because it's not a wimpy sun. We have confidence in the creator because he's not a wimpy God. God who could create all of this is confident and steady and firm and bold. And he's new every morning with this faithfulness that he pours out to all of us. Well, you can't miss the sun. You just can't miss it unless you just hide yourself under a rock somewhere. The sun never limps. It marches out into that stadium. You can't miss the creator either. And that was Paul's words to us. It rises, so says the psalmist, at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit all the way to the other. We used to sing this song as I was a child. Love him in the morning when you see the sun arising. And love him in the evening because he took you through the day. And it was talking about this course of the sun. Some of you are probably singing that in your living rooms right now. Good for you. <laughs> it makes its circuit. What would happen if any of us looked up at the sun and we saw that it was starting to zigzag from south to north and to northeast and back over to the southwest and over here again, and then hid over behind a house for a minute and then popped up again, I think we would freak out. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. Why would we freak out like that? Because we're used to its steady course. It's so steady that if it ever deviates from that, we're in trouble. And so the psalmist is talking about that, that predictable course because it's so steady, so firm. We know it's going to happen every day. The sun's going to come up. It's going to travel from east to west. It's going to set, go down under its canopy. It's going to bring up the moon and the stars. Everything's going to repeat. Everything's going to be okay. That's the way it is to trust the God who's behind all of this creation as well. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Another allusion to the fact that everybody benefits from God's creation, and he wants everybody to benefit from it. Well, consider a simple glass of water. To quote a young boy who was in first grade learning how to uh, be thankful for things and learning how to write, he was supposed to write several sentences about what he was thankful for last November around Thanksgiving. And he said, water keeps us healthy. And when he spelled it, I love the way he spelled it because they're supposed to spell phonetically and how they hear it. So he spelled it W-O-D-R, water. Water keeps us healthy. We need water in our lives because we need to live and then he said, his final sentence, I need to live. Read Vaughn, first grade. <laughs> he expressed something that all of us need and desire. We need water. Well, when you consider how far away this earth, this planet is, this rock, third rock from the sun, it's just far enough away that we have liquid water on the planet so that we can drink. It's pH balanced. There's nothing about water that's going to harm us unless you drink way too much of it, but that's another story. Water is so important to us, and all the things necessary for life to exist happens because of water. Perhaps that's why Jesus later on said that I am the living water, and he who drinks of this water will never go thirsty again. Water is important, and 
fortunately, we have this wonderful ecosystem. If we were too close to the sun, it would boil, it would steam, it would probably not even exist at all because we'd all be burnt up. We'd be like those marshmallows that you hold too close to the fire when you're trying to make s'mores. Or if we're too far away from the sun, we would be frozen. We'd just be a bunch of popsicles. Fortunately for us, we're in just this wonderful elliptical dance in the orbits that's just enough so that we have seasons, we have balance, we have the movements to and fro, we have water, we have everything else we need so that life can exist, our lives. And the psalmist recognizes it's because of God who created all that, and it's because of his love that he pours out all this speech to us to let us know, I'm here, I made this for you, and I care about you. Let's say that the pandemic has finally subsided enough and they lift the restrictions so that we can go out and enjoy some places that we wanted to go. Maybe some of them that you've put in your chat field. Some of you have probably gone up to Lake Michigan to some of the favorite places there. I know that uh, Lisa Dolinger, you have a Petoskey rock collection. Good for you. We've got a couple of Petoskey stones here too. And let's say that you're walking along the beach looking for these stones and you look down and you see something that glints in the sunlight and it looks metallic. And then you see something that looks like glass and you're thinking, hmm, that's not a stone. And you kick the sand around a little bit and it reveals enough of this item that you decide to dig a little further and you dig up what you clearly recognize as a pocket watch. Now, I kind of doubt that any of us that did that would look at that and say, hmm, isn't that interesting that the silicone as, uh, noticed in this sand and the heat and the salt water and the chemical reactions and all the turbulence from the seas stirred up by the winds in Lake Michigan, all these things just randomly produced this pocket watch. I don't much think that any of you would explain the pocket watch that way. What do we see when we see something with this much complexity and order? We think there's some intelligence behind that, is there not? which is the whole point of looking at creation, knowing that God reveals to us something about intelligence. And even as Dr. Pipe explained in his call to worship and his explanation about how this virus is working and how much information there is inherent, even in a single cell of our bodies, who put that information there? How did that arrive? Those are good big questions and we really ought to ponder them because I think that it's God speaking to us about the complexity that's brought into order by a supreme intelligence and not by random chance. Part two of that Psalm says, look down in verses seven through 10. He's saying, look down into God's word. Those who live by these words thrive. It's good not only for us, but for all of society. That's what God does when he gives us his word. His commands are right and they're righteous and they're good for developing the kind of society in which we can all thrive if we're living in his order. And then part three of the psalm, look inside. God reveals even things to us that need to be checked. He'll reveal things that need to be forgiven. He will reveal things that need to be changed. He can do all that through his word and through his Holy Spirit that convicts us of those areas so that we can be forgiven and continue to move forward in our lives. He even reveals the hidden thoughts. And the psalmist says, forgive even my hidden thoughts, Lord, because he knew that a God so powerful to create all of this around us is also powerful enough to see everything inside of me, including my hidden thoughts. There's something in physics that's called fine tuning. 
Fine tuning is the precarious balance of so many constants and laws that have to be balanced on what they consider a razor's edge for there to be this kind of complexity of life. Not just an amoeba here or something so simple, a single celled animal. It's this complex, unbelievably complex and yet orderly life with so many systems, razor's edge balance. That fine tuning to me is one of the primary evidences when I look into anything in nature, biology, cosmology, physics, anything looking at that, you have to see there's an awful lot of complexity here and yet it's orderly. And because most information tends to disintegrate, because most things tend to start from an orderly perspective and then disintegrate into disorder, how is it that this actually went up the ladder instead of down the ladder? And I think that's what we need to ponder. And that's what the psalmist was pondering for us in Psalm 19. The Apostle Paul said it, Dr. Pipe read it, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal and divine nature have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that people are without excuse. All of us have seen it, and the only way we can not believe it is that we have to somehow suppress it. We push it away because we really don't want to admit that maybe there is a God behind all this. That's what Paul is saying. Let me give you a hypothetical communication experience. Um, I am very fortunate to have a loving and very patient wife. She is so patient. And occasionally she will leave a note for me. Now that we have these little devices, she will sometimes text me with something that she would need for me to pick up if I'm going to the store. And of course, all of us now, because we're in the lockdown, I'm doing a lot more consolidation. So we're only doing one shopping trip a week, if we can possibly manage that. And then she'll add to that by typing that in. Occasionally, if she's afraid that I may be thinking about a song that I'm working on or a message that I've been preparing, sometimes I get distracted. I know that's hard for you to imagine, but it happens. So sometimes she will leave a note for me and she'll leave it in a very prominent spot, like on the doorknob of the door going to our vehicle so that I have to touch the note on my way out the door. And that will remind me to get into my phone. Well, let's say that I go to the store, I pick up all the stuff on the list, wearing my mask, of course, I come back and I come in the door and she says, oh, did you see my note and my text? What would, I, what would she say or what do you think the result would be if I said, yeah, I saw them. Didn't read them, but I saw them. You think that's gonna go over real well? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. She might be just a little bit uh, hurt. But one of the things that I'm saying, and this is my tongue in cheek way of saying it, what if there's a God who's so powerful and so loving that he leaves us a whole lot more than just a couple of sticky notes? He sent us so much more than just a couple of texts that everywhere we turn around, everywhere we look in creation, he is shouting at us. I mean, shouting at us saying, hey, I made this. Haven't you ever been just moved in your spirit by a gradient sunrise or sunset? You see the multitude of colors that starts dark at one side of the canopy and goes to light at the other side, and they're perfectly gradient. And there are some of these glory streams of sunlight that come out through the middle of some of those things. And haven't you needed to exult to somebody, to praise somebody or something and to say, wow, wow, look at that, look at that. You know what that is? We call that praise. Where does that desire to praise come from? The Apostle Paul would say it. 
It comes from God. It comes from the, the one who created that so that we would praise him. It points to him. If I saw a beautiful painting and I said, oh, that's an amazing picture. That is fantastic. I love that paint style. You know what you're really praising when you do that? Of course, you're praising the one who created that painting. Same thing happens if we're exulting over something beautiful in creation, even if we don't know it, we're praising the one who created it all because we're created to praise God. That's one of our great purposes in life, in fact. And for us to identify it and understand it and just go with it and say, okay, I don't understand it fully, but I'm just going to go with it. Praise God. It's a wonderful thing because all of a sudden you start to sense the love of the creator who made all this for us to enjoy. Sarah Groves, I mentioned her so often because she's so poetic and she's so right on. So your homework assignment after this is to look up on the internet, on YouTube, the song, Maybe There's a Loving God. And she's very poetic as well. She gives us a hypothetical situation. So we're seeing it as a point of view from perhaps um, an adolescent girl who's going through a time of wondering about her existence. It's some existential angst, which can happen when you're a teenager or a preteen. And she's raising the big questions of life. And so she's starting to find herself needing to lie out in the backyard, staring up at the sky at night, pondering big questions. And her mother's worried about her because she can't break through and she can't understand her moods. And she's taking her to a new counselor who's gonna want her to chart and graph all of her moods and why, why she is feeling the way she's feeling because they don't understand. They think that maybe she's becoming a little delusional, that maybe she needs help. And she says, but she's lying on the ground, looking at the stars and thinking, hmm, maybe this was made for me or lying on my back in the middle of a field. Maybe that's a selfish thought. Or maybe there is a loving God. I'm here to tell you, those are the right questions. And I just long, I ache to impart the questions in your minds if you're wondering if God speaks. And I'm here to tell you, he does. Oh, God does want to speak. And he does so constantly, gushing forth, pouring forth speech through his creation every day. And hopefully that speech will pique your interest enough so that after you've looked up, you look down into scripture, especially in the New Testament, because you can see that Jesus Christ fulfilled everything predicted in the Old Testament so that God could reunite us with himself because we needed to be reconciled with him. Christ is the great reconciler. And that's where we come into contact with the gospel, the good news that we were separated from him. Maybe that's why we're suppressing the truth that we see in creation, because we don't want to admit that. That's because of sin. That's because of our desire to be our own little gods. But when we see all that he is telling us, especially in scripture, then we understand that's how much he loved us, enough to send his only son to die in our place. And that way we can be reconciled to God and enjoy the purpose-filled life he has for all of those who believe and drink that living water that he pours out so freely, who is Jesus Christ, our Savior. So I hope that Psalm 19 will become one of your great hits, and that when you read it or hear it, if it's done musically in some form, it'll take you right back to that place where you first encountered a God who loves us enough to create everything for our benefit.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for anybody who's been wondering, does God speak, that they would start to sense your Holy Spirit saying, yes, 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 that they will start to resonate, that their heart will beat a little faster, and that they'll be able to understand that there is this wonderful resonation, that they're resonating with the Holy Spirit whose yes matches their yes, because as they start to see things that start to make sense only after we start to look to see what a creation looks like through the lens of scripture, then they start to understand, God does love me. He loves me so much, and I want a relationship with a God who wants a relationship with me. And then I pray that this person will continue to look into God's word, they'll read the gospels for themselves, They'll ask God the big questions and listen. Listen for his voice so that he can pour himself out to them clearly and unmistakably to say, yes, I love you. And I desire, I desire a relationship with you that will last for eternity. That's how much he loves us. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name.